0: Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha, And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, developed by Idos Montreal and published by Square Enix. It was released for Windows, Switch, PS4 and 5, Xbox One, Series X and S on October 26th, 2021. Uh, And we may talk about some spoilers, so heads up if you're sensitive to that. This is a very recent game. Clint, you first picked it up, and uh, you had nothing but good things to say, and uh, I was quick to follow suit.
1: Which is crazy, because every time I saw a commercial for it, I said, no fucking way am I playing that game. (laughs) Uh, Like a lot of people, I think everybody's still a little sore from whatever happened with Avengers last year. Somehow Square Enix ruined one of the best franchises. I mean, I don't know how you ruin an Avengers game. But anyway, I thought it was going to be more of that, and I completely ignored it, and then... I don't know I got bored and I'm like maybe I'll take a look and I'm so glad I changed my tune cuz this game was amazing.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you and I you know, I didn't really pay much attention to Avengers once I sort of saw the format it was taking, you know, the in, incredible amount of commercialization that was going into like how they formulated it. I just, you know, I knew it was going to be one of those games that had a menu for microtransactions and generally speaking that's kryptonite for me uh, bringing in a kryptonite reference on a marvel game uh, already off Ew. to a good start uh, <laughs> but uh you know anyway I, I agree with you this was a really fun game and uh i'm really glad i decided to follow suit and play it at, at your urging
1: yeah the only reason i ended up playing it uh i got a random gift card from from work that i turned into a playstation gift card i'm like i don't know what to buy i'm like well it just came out fine i'll do it mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, sure. And, you know, I think you were right to sort of see this in contrast to the 2020 Avengers game, because I do feel like this is seen as like a rebuttal to that from the company itself. Like they were like, okay, we get it. We screwed up. We're going to, instead of making it a um, platform as a game as a service, full of microtransactions, ongoing game, we're going to make a third person character driven action adventure with a linear single player campaign. And it's like, oh boy,
1: did they lean into it and do it well. They didn't just, yeah. I'm really pleased with what
0: they put forth. And it's pretty obvious,
1: like immediately. I think I I was hooked within the first 20 minutes. Just even the opening sequence,
0: like I I knew this was going to be a good game. Well, I think like even just the format of it, like really speaks to like something that you and I like grew up on and really like, like this is basically like the Marvel version of a God of War game. Um, yeah you know like they they kind of or it or Mass Effect like I actually I think this is like Mass Effect meets God of War meets Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe um, but maybe I'm like getting ahead of myself but I think this like really is a very interesting synergy of a lot of things I like about single-player campaigns
1: yeah you want to talk a little bit about the plot and kind of what the stakes are in this game
0: Sure, yeah. So this varies a little bit from the MCU Guardians of the Galaxy in that it takes place several years after the Galactic War, the war that Thanos waged upon the rest of the galaxy and, you know, sort of left its mark uh, with lots of fallout. Uh, So lots of consequences. Peter Quill, the leader of the Guardians, who at this point include Gamora, uh, daughter of Thanos, Rocket the Raccoon. Not a raccoon. Not not a raccoon. (laughs) Groot. Groot and Drax the Destroyer, who murdered Thanos to basically end the war, they're looking to make a buck any way they can, which seems like a pretty bad deal for the murder of Thanos. But anyway, they end up scamming Lady Hellbender, a beast collector, and that's basically where our action begins.
1: Yeah, I kind of really like that they were brave enough to break away from the whole MCU thing. So obviously, uh, spoilers if you didn't see Endgame yet, uh, Drax did not kill Thanos.
0: Right. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> and- it's funny, because they keep hinting at the, like, we're so, I think, you know, in this game. Like, maybe they're, like, setting up for, like, a return or something like that. I don't know. Regardless. Well,
1: clearly, like, this game is all about multi-dimensional, multi-timeline, hmm, everything. I mean, mm-hmm. all the things with Mantis clearly lend towards, towards that whole thing. But anyway, I really enjoyed that they were able to feel like they could do their own thing. Because it really gave them breathing room
0: to, to do their own story. Yeah, and on top of that, like it, it really allowed them to explore the characters that were present a lot more or a lot differently than the MCU had. And and to that point, I think it it brings into me like some of the some of the things that they borrowed or continued on from the MCU and some of the things they definitely deviated with. I think one of the things I'm really glad they continued with was the the use of the eighties music. Uh I don't know if that's oh, always yeah. been like a, a definite thing. I think given that guardians of the galaxy was initially like a 60s or 70s thing like probably not but the 80s music stayed through true so the the james gunn influences are felt here for sure with the the soundtrack and i was really glad to see that um there's a huddle mechanic that gives you some super good tracks like they use don't fear the reaper by blue oyster colt tears for fears everybody wants to rule the world hit me with your best shot by pat benatar like you get all the all the hits here <laughs> yeah they got a
1: crazy amount of licensed music in this game So hopefully this isn't one of those games that disappears in a couple years because they can't get their stuff renewed. But yeah, (laughs) not only were they in the game, but they used it sparingly. And when they did use it, they used it very, very well.
0: I did find it kind of funny when like you would hit a really dramatic moment of a boss fight. And all of a sudden you'd get your huddle mechanic, which we'll talk about a little later. And you'd come back into the battle with Rick Astley fucking... (laughs) <laughs> never going to give you up playing and you're like oh okay well this is how i'm gonna end this battle then
1: <laughs> or i mean i won't give away when they use it but when they finally pull out uh final countdown by europe that was like yeah. yes
0: That's, yeah that was pretty good i uh, they, they definitely make really good use of it um i'm I, and they licensed an, an actually surprising amount of tracks there's i found yeah. a, a listing online i'm going to go ahead and throw that into our show notes for sure but um yeah outside but, of like a grand theft auto game i can't think of a game that has more No, I'm with you. And it's weird. Like, I know this is a big budget game. It's definitely like a AAA game that is seen in the graphics. It's seen in the voice performances. It's seen in pretty much everything here. But, you know, still, like you and I were both saying up top, like, this was one that we were ready to pass over until like, it became apparent that this was like, a Last of Us quality title in terms of like, what what it was bringing to the table. Yeah, just to go back in on that, you know, like, we're going to Talk a lot about like what the the writing and the graphics and and everything that went into this was. It, it was weird to me that like the combat was maybe one of the weakest things, and that in most games of this caliber, you know, a video game, a a video game, combat's the focus. But in this one, it was more like on the story, the writing, the characters. You know, we talked about how it's differed from the MCU and it's given them a lot of freedom. But I think it's also given them a lot of freedom on. You know, making these characters more likable than their MCU counterparts. Like the the writing in this game is humorous. It's funny. It's really good. And it I laughed out
1: loud, like literally. I never do <laughs> that in a video game. But like, I think even in the like I said, the first twenty minutes was like eye opening for me. But like, they're walking around on the, on the space dock, and Rocket and Groot are just fucking around, and I'm like, I'm like laughing at their jokes.
0: I'm like, if this is what the whole game is, I'm in. Let's do this. Yeah, and it it really, like, it it puts you into the action a lot more, too. Like, um, we're talking about, like, the dialogue here, but you do actually have, like, an active part in this. And I think this is going to sound really strange probably to you, but this is something that it feels to me like they took from not only games like um, the uh, Left 4 Dead... Telltale games in terms of like making choices that are going to play out in the narrative, but also even something like Kentucky Route Zero, where you're not necessarily affecting the outcome with the dialogue choices you choose, but you're being a director of the game in a way. Um, You're sort of choosing how the characters interpret what is going to happen as it relates to the action on the screen. Um, You can have Peter say two very different things and the outcome is still the same, but the feelings that the characters are feeling is completely different.
1: No, that totally makes sense you almost because you get that team leader feeling like a lot of times you're like trying to decide like whose feelings are going to get hurt. And while you say the outcome is always the same, it's not. There's a lot of times where you'll see a little thing pop up at the top. be like, rocket was grateful that you took his side on this one. And then later on, I know of several things that happen in the game that won't happen if you do things correctly or will happen if you do them another way. So it does make an out. I played it twice. So I've seen Mm -hmm. a couple of these. There, there are, impactful things but it is true like just the way you're perceiving the story in your head changes as you go
0: yeah well you're definitely right i mean i i know i've noticed places where i know there was a mechanical outcome to the the dialogue choices that i made but maybe we should talk about how this is actually like systematized in the game first so um you know you're used to seeing maybe like a dialogue tree on a screen but at this game in this game it's always a binary choice Um, We mentioned up top, you're always in the shoes of Peter Quill. So you are choosing Peter, a.k.a. Star-Lord's dialogue or his response to any given question or a comment or whatever. And basically how they operate is story quick time events. Um, You know, his icon pops up on the bottom of the screen. You choose R or L, and he will respond either in, like, say, a positive or negative way or a snarky or sincere way or a deflecting or engaging way. And it all, like, basically will feed into like a trade-off you make about how you react to a character. And as you said, Clint, it uses the telltale like X will remember that at the top.
1: And I think that's why why it's really important is because the banter is so important in this game. You never it's never quiet. Like it doesn't feel like it feels way more like a movie than it feels like a game because they're just constantly talking to each other and whatever's going on, they're like commenting about it to each other, jabbing at each other. And I think that by giving you some input into the conversation, it makes you feel like part of the group instead of just somebody observing it.
0: Yeah, it, it really does. And it puts you in Peter as the leader's shoes really well. And I think it does this almost way well, it almost not almost but way better than the MCU movies do. I had an opportunity earlier today as I was doing a little prep for this to rewatch some of the first Guardians of the Galaxy MCU movie. And you're going from these characters meeting to saying things along the lines of, I'd be honored to die among my friends in less than an hour. Yeah, that is not (laughs) the case in this game. But actually,
1: that just, yeah, it just solidifies what's really going on here. At the beginning of this game, these guys don't know each other. They don't trust each other. Some of them hate each other. Like, it's a very shaky alliance. And the only thing holding it together is you. And the way you kind of like take one person's side or or the other or try to like make decisions like cements what this will turn into in the long run.
0: Yeah, it it feels like a very professional relationship at the beginning of the video game Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, whereas in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy, they sort of come across each other by serendipity and it doesn't really feel earned like the the loyalty that they have for each other by the end of that. But, you know, it has a lot shorter runtime to work with. It's a two
1: hour movie. Yeah,
0: this is one of the strengths of, like, having a long game. And by long, I mean, what is this, a dozen hours, maybe 15? It's At still least. a lot a lot longer than two, right? And when it doesn't feel earned in a movie, like, that's, to me, like, a great cue to explore this in a longer form, like a video game or a TV series or something like that. Like, you do, by the end of this game, have several crazy-ass missions under your belt and have felt a real arc for these characters. Um, and it doesn't... It doesn't hurt that the writing in this for all the characters and their dialogue just feels a lot more fleshed out and better than it did in that MCU, that first movie.
1: For sure. And then in this long format too, we don't just explore the fact that, hey, maybe these guys aren't getting along for some reason. You have long enough to figure out like why they feel the way they feel and they all come together and realize like, hey, we're all just a bunch of misfits. Mm -hmm. We all have our own weird things, but we're a family and we need to make this work kind of
0: thing, which is really, it was really cool. Yeah, you talked about how it's humorous up top, and I agree with you. There are definitely laugh-out-loud moments, but it's also really heartfelt, and I think that's really helped by how good the facial capture is in this. Like, I don't know what they're using. It's definitely like, I haven't seen anything this good outside of a Naughty Dog game, but they really make that facial capture work over time to convey these relationships, and the the emotive writing is also very dramatic and good.
1: Yeah, there wasn't too much Uncanny Valley in this game. It was, you're right, you almost... It was almost imperceptible to the point where you just weren't thinking about it. You were more thinking about what you were seeing. Which, I will say another thing around the storytelling. Another grave sin that a lot of games, especially games this long, do with filler is they give you collectibles that you have to go get. And the collectibles have no bearing on anything and they're just total pointless. There are collectibles in this game, but they are like trinkets that you'll find out in the world. And then when you get back to your hub, which is your ship... You can go and find those and then you have a conversation with one of your teammates about it. yeah and you'll you'll find out like an interesting thing about their background and why they are the way they are. like every bit of it was like five minutes of dialogue like it was like a lot just for some random collectible you could find. it was really cool
0: yeah it it, it the those sections in particular, I think allowed the. Not only the voice cast to really like stretch their legs, but it allowed the writers to like characterize these folks a lot better. Uh, Drax's item in particular was one that I found really interesting. And I'm just going to use this moment to call out the voice actors that three of which I think were especially good. Uh, obviously, John McLaren as Star-Lord, Jason Cavalier as Drax, and Alex Weiner as Rocket were all, uh, I think, among my favorite voice uh, voices in this game. I would choose all of those above their portrayals in the MCU universe. Um, however, uh, as I really do think that like those items you said allowed this game to cement like these characters in completely different ways. Like Drax basically becomes the emotional core of this game when you find his, yeah. And it's like (laughs) the guy who literally has no emotions. He's like stoic as a character trait is the emotional core of the game.
1: Yeah. And then Rocket, who's just a little dickhead, turns out he's (laughs) got like real feelings too. And like, Yeah. Again, these are things you find out if you engage with the game. I also like that they didn't slog the game down with this. Like they could have put all that narrative in the game somewhere, but it would have slowed the pace down. They let you interact with it on the side as you pleased, not forcing it on you, which is really good. That's an, I mean, we'll talk about this when we talk about combat, but this game does an excellent job of never stopping. Again, there's always some dialogue going on. You're always moving in a positive direction. Things are always happening. It never makes you stop. Again, it's very like a movie in that you can just
0: kind of ride straight through. There's rarely just a round table. There are some, but they're few and far between. There's a lot of walk and talks. You know, you're always getting to see something as you're like making your way through an exposition. And to that end, maybe we should talk a little bit bit about the setting in this game. Because if there's one thing that Guardians of the Galaxy, even back in the movies, always excelled at, it was like having an insane amount of like visual overload and just larger than life stuff from a sci-fi perspective on the screen
1: yeah they don't this is not star trek or or star wars this is like crazy neon space lasers times 1000 (laughs) yeah it's
0: it's all celestial this and cosmic that and transdimensional the other thing and like it's completely eye-popping and as a person who is susceptible to proper nouns and deep lore this was catnip to me like, you know, like every time I hear about the world mind, I'm like, oh, what's that? I can't wait to see the world mind. Uh, <laughs> Turns out when you finally met them, they were a total jerk yeah that'll happen but um <laughs> yeah i mean marvel's full of this shit and like if i had gotten more into the comics as a kid i'd probably have like a stack up to the ceiling on the floor behind me but yeah. um i just i wasn't there at the time and i'm glad that i'm getting to like revisit and learn more about this and and do some like back solving for all the stuff that's being put in all these games that i love and mu- movies that i liked like somewhat still like i don't know um regardless the uh the lore here, the world, everything that they're putting in, in this game is drawing from stuff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel's previous history throughout all of their vast backlog of comics. And that all comes into the game in the form of l- lore orbs that you find in the world, lore in the character entries for their costumes, lore in the objects, as Clint mentioned, bring you bring back to the ship, lore from scanning items in the world. Like, there's tons of lore in this game yet yeah,
1: that you can or totally don't have to interact with at all if if you don't want to. And it's not going to impact the story at all, but for somebody that's, you know, been a fan for a long time, I saw when I was looking for a story recap just re- refresher before we, you know, did this podcast, there was a 30-minute video just on eat li- every little easter egg they put in the game. Like, <laughs> there's that much stuff that it took 30 minutes for them to talk about all the cool little things that they just had hidden around like this was clearly a love letter to the fans. If if it felt,
0: at least that's how it felt to me. I totally agree. And even as like a relative Marvel neophyte, basically coming to it with like movies and games and like a slight bit of comic stuff, like I I found a lot to like, uh, call back to, a lot of callbacks that I appreciated, and a lot of sort of like table setting for maybe future games or things that are going on in like the other parts of the universe or alternate universes or, or what have you and marvel literally has decades of this stuff so why not use it you know why not have all of that care brought into a AAA game that is you know supposedly uh you know a flag bearer for the the brand it's well yeah, done for sure So with that, why don't we talk about like how this game actually plays? Because we've, we've talked about how it um, how you interact with its story, how you interact with the setting. But maybe we should talk a little bit about who you're inhabiting. And uh, as we mentioned up top, that is all Star-Lord. Like, this is a game where you control a party, but through one person. And that is Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. Who, interestingly, is the weakest member of the party <laughs> by far? Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I, I love how they like basically put you in like the least interesting, weakest member of the party and say like, "All right, now go fight." You're like, "Okay, well, I guess I'm gonna have to command this army of weirdos then to get this job done."
1: Yeah, I mean, I was gonna save this for the back half of the podcast, but I, I was kind of putting things together before we uh, before we recorded here, and I just realized like, his only real power is just bringing people together. That's it. Mm guy has no superpowers at all. He's just a normal dude as far as we know. I mean, he can touch Infinity Stone, so he's, something's <laughs> going on. But but really, that's his biggest, you know, contribution to the team. He's just good at bringing people together.
0: Yeah, and and weirdly, I feel like this game's Peter Quill, who initially was a bit annoying to me, ended up being way more memorable than the the Chris Pratt Star-Lord. Um, yeah, just to call back to the movie. Like I feel like Chris Pratt basically just place the chris pratt character and they spray paint whatever you know brand they want over him he was chris pratt spray painted as star lord to be um, fair
1: to <laughs> be fair don't get on your high horse about chris pratt yet that was his first thing i believe after he was andy on parks and rec that was his breakout role so yeah, that's fair yeah <laughs> I, I dude, mean you're, dude you're had right. to go from from large overweight dude to man with eight pack <laughs> <laughs> he put in the work on that one
0: yeah, I, I I hear you. Maybe he was just feeling himself a little bit too much on that stage. But it just yeah. whatever it was about it just didn't work for me. And this Star-Lord, like, initially also didn't work for me, given. But he he made it into working for me by the end of this game, which, oh, yeah. you know, is,
1: is good. I was afraid, yeah. In the first 10 minutes, I was kind of afraid that he was going to be douchey surf, a surfer bro. And he kind of is a little bit. But also, he's very heartfelt and, like, immediately you start taking a side like I don't know I was
0: super drawn to this character almost immediately no you're you're right that he is like he he gets you rooting for him really fast right yeah. because he is like he's a classic underdog he's outclassed by literally everyone around him the only thing he's doing is he's the guy with the plan sort of it's all of, it's often insinuated that he really doesn't have a plan at all he's just sort of getting lucky um <laughs> And, and you know, he is endearing. Uh, He's the only human person in this entire game. That immediately to us as humans makes him endearing. So, you know, it it works. Like, whatever they're doing with him in this game um, is interesting. And just to run back to to Chris Pratt real quick, I'm sure he'll make a bankable Mario, but I have a bad feeling that I'll forget him in a few months as well. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I will say I, I actually really did enjoy the movie. Uh, when I saw it, but now that I've played the game, so what happened, I I played this game and I immediately like you, I was like, I need more guardians of the galaxy. And I went back and tried to watch the movie. I started it up (laughs) and I'm like, like, that's not my star Lord. And then I went back and played (laughs) the game again. Like, I think it just speaks to how well this game did and how happy I am that they broke out and did their own adaptation instead of trying to adhere too closely to MCU because this was better.
0: I, I agree. I'm in the same boat. I did the same thing, and I didn't play the game again. But I would, I would rather do that than uh, try and go back through the the rest of the Star Lord content in the MCU. That's for sure. Um, but we should we should move on from Star Lord. You get Rocket, of course. He's the the next next up. Extremely. Um, Extremely sarcastic. Extremely sarcastic and angry raccoon. Not Um, a raccoon. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Not a raccoon. He's very specific
1: about that. (laughs) And should
0: not be thrown. Hates getting wet. (laughs) Yeah. All for Um, good reasons if you stick with it. Yeah, and his his basic function is, you know, being the engineer, inventor, hacking. Um yeah, he's he's snarky, he's fun. I like him. Um, but he, uh, he's also the one that throws around the most dialect and swear words. He's flark this and scut sucker that, you know, it's, uh, he does a good job sort of making sure that the universe feels like real and lived in because he's inhabited it for so long. Yeah.
1: I liked him a lot. And then of course, same as the movies, you've got Groot who's like his, I guess you call it the straight man to his, to Rockets comedy. (laughs)
0: yeah Groot is basically like um in this game he seems like sort of a cross between a buddhist monk and a tree um (laughs) but it you know it works he provides sort of support um how much can you say about Groot honestly i mean he had a little bit of character growth in this game but as usual he's the one in my opinion with like the least interesting sort of arc
1: no i think he makes rocket more interesting because uh there actually had a bug in my game where all of Groot's dialogue, which is always "I am Groot," right, said in different tones and and whatever. Uh, for some reason, his audio wasn't coming through for a while, and during that time, I was getting really annoyed with Rocket because Rocket was just being a dick. I'm like, "What? When are they going to let up?" And then I like stopped the game and came back to it, and then Groot's audio came back in and it was funny again. I'm like, "I think he, he's like he's like he like smooths Rocket out a little bit. It's it's necessary."
0: That's true. He provides and and you never know what he's saying, but then Groot or Rocket basically reacts to Groot and you get the context clues for like what he said. It's like, "Oh, you're right, buddy. He is a fucking asshole or a fucking scart <laughs> sucker or F- farkin- sucker." <laughs> yeah,
1: it, you only get Rocket's translation of what Groot says too, so it's usually in his
0: favor, of course. <laughs> it it is quite fun. And then um there's Gamora who is your yes, you know, the deadliest woman in the universe, the assassin. Um, daughter of Thanos, extremely snarky. Um, they don't treat her as a love interest for Star-Lord in this game, which I think works better, to be honest. Like, yeah. it, it feels like it might have been a distraction. Um, and it might have put them on uneven footing compared to the rest of the crew, whereas this is totally supposed to be a completely equal footing, egalitarian team. Um, so I'm glad they went that route.
1: She, I mean, I didn't dislike her, but if I had to pick, like, one character that didn't add as much as the others, it would be Gamora.
0: It didn't get as much characterization in this game, and maybe that's just, like, them evening out the scales because they explored her backstory along with Nebula's backstory so thoroughly in the MCU that I think maybe they were just trying to, you know, even the the playing field a little bit.
1: Yeah, that, and she's kind of coming out from a back foot position, too, here, because, like, the way they describe this, like Rocket and Groot and Star-Lord have been buddies for a while, mm-hmm. and she's a new addition, and Star-Lord keeps telling everybody, like, hey, look, she's a valuable member of the team, but they're all like, eh, I don't know. So I, I'm just wondering, if maybe she just didn't interact with the team as much because she was new, and then it just kind of seemed like she faded in the background a little bit, at least towards the beginning of the game.
0: Yeah, they, they start to try and, like, bring her back into, like, the heartfelt, dramatic storyline at the end when she, like, sort of seems to feel a real connection towards Nikki, who is uh, another character we'll discuss in a bit. But it it just didn't get far enough, or maybe it was too little too late for me. But um, the last of the Guardians I want to talk about, of course, Armandrax. man Drax. Our man Drax, uh, my favorite as well. Extremely literal man, no sarcasm here. Just, yeah. in- <laughs> just incredible story arc about him, his family in this game. Um, the emotional core of the game, but honestly, the MVP of Guardians of the Galaxy for me.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it was the writing or the voice acting, or maybe it was a little bit of both, but he just nailed it. So Dave Bautista, I felt like, did a very good job in Guardians of the Galaxy, the movies, and he and he kind of has the same, like, style and quality, I, I feel like, to his dialogue, but I don't know. We just got to see more of him in this game.
0: I, I would say Dave Bautista laid the foundation, and... Um, the voice actor for him in this game, Jason Cavalier, stood on the shoulders of giants and just reached for the fucking stars. Like, he, he destroyed yeah. it. He yeah. he he definitely took it to the next level. You know, I don't know who uh, if Jason Cavalier has done screen work, but if he can uh, become the physique of a Batista. I think he should be the next Drex. <laughs> well, few men can. That's why Dave Batista yeah. is Dave hey, Batista. Uh, can, can you look like a strong strongman? Uh, you know, <laughs> Thor Odinson? <laughs> yeah, I need you to be eight times the man you are today yeah literal mass (laughs) (laughs) yes just a lot more mass please um but yeah he he really was uh there was an excellent arc with him in this game that really sort of not only fleshed out him but basically the entire team like he he basically set the stage for like how everyone else in the entire um guardians is sort of rewriting their story from where they left it off It, it was really nice like i think his was sort of what tied everything together for me yeah
1: and we really get to feel it too. So we haven't even really talked about what the actual plot of the story is yet. But long, long story short, there's a there's an intergalactic cult that is um, the Universal Church of Truth. Yeah, they're capturing people's, I guess, minds with this thing called the Promise, where it's basically they can, they're telling people they can bring back their dead family members, and then they kind of put them in a trance where they where these people feel like they're with their family again and they're just sucking their souls out for energy or whatever, if that's a good synopsis.
0: Yeah, that's basically how I would say it. They make a promise to them and say like, hey, if you believe in this faith, we will grant you whatever we are promising you, which, you know, for most people is bringing back a dead family member or, you know, giving them whatever emotionally fulfilling thing they want. And you come to have this church happen through that pursuit of lady hellbenders that i talked about up top in the in the synopsis basically in the course of pursuing that for lady hellbender that collector you unleash uh, a force that causes the universal the universal church of truth to gain power and start spreading that faith of the promise throughout the galaxy and from there you meet its high unifier raker who becomes sort of the main antagonist of the game
1: yeah and then basically the idea here is that that as you succumb to this they brainwash you and, and then they steal your soul but the cool thing is Drax we we're talking about Drax here Drax mm-hmm. succumbs to it like he's literally he gives in the strongest man on the team is the weakest sometimes too and I think that's why he was so relatable and like you know like God if they could get to him they could get to anybody and then the whole team comes together to to bring him back which again I think solidified again how much we cared about his character. But the guy that acted it out
0: did an amazing job with that too. And I think it's a really nice message, honestly. Like, it's a message about, like, anyone can succumb to, you know, false promises or, I don't know, conspiracy information, weird things, you know, in the world. Like, there's a lot of this in the world right now. There's people believing in false realities, there's people believing in crazy stuff. And the only way to sort of bring them out of that is to support them, you know, have a solid support system around you. And this game was a really nice. I don't know, I feel like that was a message that it was trying to get across in that. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, Going on from that, you know, there's a few other very interesting supporting characters. Chief among those to me, you know, aside from Lady Hellbender, who I've mentioned, is like a a big badass bitch. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But there's uh, uh, Officer Corell, or Centurion Corell of the Nova Corps, and her daughter, Nikki, uh, the latter of which is a very interesting character there's some sort of interesting or origin stories for that character I don't know how into spoilers we want to get for let's this, leave it alone let's leave it alone leave it pretty light but needless to say there's some very there, there's a lot of other interesting characters and aspects of this story that they bring into it and I uh I'm here for it one of my favorite that I think you left off the list was mantis so mantis was in the second
1: guardians movie and I didn't really understand how she fit in uh, when I watched the movie but after playing the games like some of my favorite dialogue in the entire game was there's oh man, I don't remember which mission it is, but basically she's riding Drax around. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> treating him like a marionette, basically. But she keeps talking to you. Evidently she can see things in different dimensions and timelines. Right. And you know, you'll like go into a room and she's like, Oh, I hope this isn't the one where we all die in a like <laughs> like, horrible disaster. She's like, oh, must not be that one. And, like, you just, know. like, a whole bunch of little things like that. And then uh, Rocket will be complaining about water. And then she'll stick up for him and be like, actually, you'd be surprised in how many timelines he dies in, in far less water than this. Like, he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: no, she she is absolutely fantastic character um, flavor for the whole story. And it it also plays a bit of lip service to all of that various other marvel lore that we have right like she references other marvel timelines and actions and sequences and arcs in a lot of her dialogue as i understand it and that is really cool too like she just um she's a really like you said really great flavor character and a bit confusing but i think overall really additive to the story
1: yeah and and they go heavy-handed with it uh, but they use her sparingly so like when Mm. she's there it's like they lay it on thick for sure but they don't leave her there too long where it, where it gets annoying, so I really enjoyed that. That was, like, one of my standout
0: levels, just because of the dialogue from her. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Now that I'm thinking back on it, like, she she was a standout character, despite only being there for, like, one and a half levels of the whole game. Yeah. Um, so, maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, those levels, and one of the main things that you do in them, which is combat. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Now, up top, you said that you thought the combat was weak. I would counter that at the beginning, it feels like it might be a little shallow. But by the end, I think it felt
0: very fleshed out. Yeah, and even honestly, even like when you get into it and start to understand the controls, you know, when you have all four of your party members together, it it starts to feel interesting enough and active enough to be really fun. But to your point, by the end of the game, it is... Pretty complex. Like you have um, <laughs> several different things you're doing. Like you, as you're controlling Star Lord, right? So you have the option of commanding all of your different guardians to do things. Um, you know, as we mentioned, um, you have Gamora doing your sort of DPS. You have Drax doing a stagger sort of function. Stagger being basically stolen straight out of Final Fantasy 7 remake. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah. You, you have group doing crowd control, and you have Rocket doing sort of AOE mage stuff.
1: Blowing shit up. Exactly.
0: And on top of that, you as Star-Lord can shoot your guns, which have an active reload, you have timers on all those team members, and you have an elemental gun, which slowly gains elements over the course of the game. So this is by no means a simple system. It has depth.
1: Yeah, at the beginning when I thought, I'm just Star-Lord, I'm going to shoot, and I'm going to dodge, and I'm going to watch my teammates do stuff, I was like, (laughs) eh. But that is not at all, not even close. Like, it it quickly dives in. You very quickly get all all your characters, and then they start building up a repertoire of, like, different moves, which you get to control on the fly, which we talked about this earlier, too. This game is all about momentum and keeping things going, and the hard part about having a game where you're doing, like, tactical combat with teams is that you often have to stop the action to do that. They found a way to keep it going, and there's a couple games that have done that well. Mass Effect comes to mind. That was one of the first ones that I've seen do that. And then, again, we have Square Enix here. Uh, The Final Fantasy VII Remake did a really good job with their new active battle system.
0: Yeah, totally agree, and, like... So many things, I know this game was only published by Square Enix, but so many things about this make so much sense for Square for me. Like, the active battle system, one, like, a lot of this battle system does feel like Final Fantasy VII Remake to me. But two, like, you're confronting gods and celestial beings, and it's totally, like, out of this world (laughs) stuff. Like, it all feels right in the Final Fantasy wheelhouse. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Like, I almost would have thought Square would have been the developer on this until I realized it wasn't. Um, Either way, it works, whatever they did. Um, using the other guardian, using the other guardians, like you said, feels chaotic at times, but it does feel like you're orchestrating something. And when you like all of a sudden realize that I've got like, all right, I have all four of my cooldowns hitting in five seconds, quickly stagger with Drax, do an AOE to get all the people out of the way with Rocket, tie the big dude down with Groot and then ram the DPS in with Gamora. It just feels like awesome like it is really fun
1: oh yeah w- when it's work when it's working it works really well and i will say most of the time it-, it works very rarely are you sitting around waiting for everybody's counters to come down like it's it's quick counters for for people to-, to refresh and be able to do stuff and they do stuff in the meantime too they're not waiting on you um but yeah it just got so much better and i think i don't think it was better than the final fantasy uh system, system? But-
0: I- yeah I-, I i have to agree. Like. And that's a high bar to clear like that was one of my favorite games of last year.
1: (laughs) But I would say that that game was trying to be more tactical. This game was trying to be like mid tactical, but more cinematic. cinematic. Yeah, it was super cool when you got everybody to do a move together. It would do like this cool like combo break where you like got to watch them all just kick something's ass together and then it would just die.
0: That was, that was really fun. That reminded me of like, it's like the finishers from God of War, basically, except when you do them, everyone gets a chance to hit. It's, it's awesome. And then we finally, there's the huddle mechanic, which despite undoubtedly being the goofiest thing in this game. Still kind of worked for me. Basically, it's uh, the limit break of the game. When (laughs) Star-Lord takes enough damage or enough time passes, you press L and R, and he calls all the Guardians over. Time stops, basically, somehow. I don't know how this is happening. But um, he comes... intergalactic time space man i don't know sure, sure he he's oh yeah and you mentioned he's some sort of ancient race he's a spar toy clint get it right oops um <laughs> I, I probably got that wrong don't don't email me don't at me um <laughs> <laughs> don't come at me bro <laughs> yeah so um basically uh you everyone huddles up time stops and they say like a couple lines of dialogue to you like yeah we're fucking kicking their asses or like oh man we're on the ropes here and you have to use that quick time dialogue system to identify the vibe and correctly respond to it (laughs) to get an extra boost yeah i think it's
1: funny like most of the time i got them right because it's not that hard Mm-hmm. Uh, but one time I got it wrong, and they're like, what the hell
0: are you talking about? And they all walk
1: <laughs> away, and then you're just like, nobody gets their bonus, and it just goes back to the way it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but the music still plays, so either way, you're listening <laughs> yeah. to Rick Astley, or, um, I don't know, uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, or something cool like that. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's good stuff. It, it works. I don't know. It, it's definitely the goofiest thing in the game, like I said. At least the goofiest thing in the battle mechanics. Uh, the goofiest thing wasn't the weird space llama? <laughs> maybe so but i like that space llama so it's okay yeah. we're talking a lot about the combat but i think one thing that kept me going in this game was where you were doing that combat and where you were doing all of these other things, the incidental dialogue, et cetera, et cetera. And that is the various levels and locations and things that you're going to in this game. You know, you're everywhere from places you recognize from the MCU, like Nowhere, um, all the way to far-flung planets you've never heard of before. And all of them look like the cover art of some kind of crazy metal album from the 1980s because they are crazy.
1: Yeah, I like that they also paid homage to that too. Like even Star Lord's name was the name of some like eighties hair band that he was like way into before he, you know, got abducted <laughs> into
0: space. So Yeah. And and you know, traversing these levels, I you know, I think most of it is like corridor to corridor, entering an arena and doing combat, but there is stuff in between it and it does require you to use your character's various skills to traverse and do some light puzzle solving along the way. And one thing that I really liked about this was, you know, Groot could make walkways across Chasm, Gamora could cut shit, Rocket could go in tight spaces and hack things, Drax was lifting stuff. And at the beginning, you had to prompt them to do all of that stuff. But in the later levels, they would start doing it on their own because they were like getting that they were part of a team. And that was really satisfying to me.
1: Yeah, that was a cool like unspoken character arc thing that happened right there at the end. Like... So obviously at the beginning, things are shaky. There's a big falling out. You managed to bring it all back together. And I think, well, we already talked about it. Once once you save Drax and bring everybody back together, they all realize like, hey, we have responsibility for one another. We're going to make this work. And that's when they start doing things on their own, which was super cool. You're right. It was never mentioned. They never said a word about it, but it just gave you that sense that they're committed to the teamwork thing now.
0: Yeah, it's funny, because this game, like, did have some parts where it over-explained stuff, like, they brought back the QTEs, for example, like, in a dramatic cutscene, then all of a sudden you'd see a new ability used by Peter and his element gun or something, and then a battle queued, and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, he saved the day, and now we're gonna fight. I'm so pumped. And then info window tutorial pops up, and there's an instant buzzkill. Um, yeah. You know, video games can't escape this shit, it just happens. But, um, you know, when it, when this game's, like, moments of serendipity and, like, non-verbal storytelling with like the characters growing and learning to use their abilities on their own happens it really works and this is a great example of me for how video games just need to get out of their own way sometimes
1: yeah i'm glad that you picked that up too because if you remember like in the first couple levels you would ask rocket to hack a panel and he would like he would do it but he'd give you some shit first Mm -hmm. and then by the end he's off you're you're right he's offering
0: to do it he just does it on its own like yeah he's like i got this And then he's like, even going further, he's like, you ask him to hack a panel, it blows up in his face, and he's like, oh, I have another idea, and goes off and surprises you with how he he circumvents the situation um, in typical Rocket fashion. It's it's great. It's a a story about growth, and the mechanics play into it. And if there's one thing I love when video games do, it's when they blend the story and their mechanics to like a real affecting end.
1: Yeah, I don't think this game did that for sure. Speaking of ends, like, I felt like there was five or six points in this game where they could have just turned off and said, this is it, like, this is going to be the end. <laughs> and then they never did. And it wasn't, like, annoying. Like, it was, like, a lot of... I just felt like there was an off-ramp several times and they just chose not to take it. Like, nope, we're going to keep going. Let's keep going, guys. And they just kept rolling. Even, well, even after post-credits. That was, like, <laughs> a... That was a gimme. But, like, still, there were several other, like times in the narrative that i thought like this is as far as it's going to go and, and they just kept giving you more which i was really happy about
0: yeah it, it does like despite being like in today's day and age like not a particularly long game even though it's you know by any other standards of media very long you know dozen or more maybe 16 17 hours um it does feel really generous on how it just sort of keeps adding to the story there's like it's pulling on that marvel post-credit scene mentality right like and one more thing, yeah. uh, and then one, one more thing, and then another thing, and yeah, you're right, there were off-ramps at like maybe 10, 12, and 13 hours, but I I, yeah, I, they, I, was, glad, I was glad to see more.
1: It didn't overstay its welcome at all, like even even the post-credits
0: thing, I was like, all right, I'm down, let's do this. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I, I agree, never overstayed its welcome, Lo- uh, was really glad to just see them continue to escalate the stakes and tie up the loose ends and yet still leave more out there for you to wonder about and see where it goes like they kept alluding to things you know that if they ever make a sequel on they they would call upon and there's like i said so many things that they can call upon thanks to the mcu's wild amount of history yeah
1: i bet you we get a sequel for this it it seems to be doing very well
0: so i bet you we get another one let's put it this way I would much rather see a sequel to this than the Avengers game. (laughs) I think everybody knows that. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, let's uh, sum up our thoughts with a three-word review. My three-word review is Flarking Good Time. Guardians of the Galaxy caught me by surprise. I knew I'd get some impressive visuals, maybe even some fun and lighthearted action, but what I didn't know is that I'd also get a heartfelt story about trust, growth, and found family. Combine that with a combat system that really pulls in the elements of teamwork, and you have a recipe for the exact type of gameplay and storytelling synergy that I love to see. Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't succeed on all fronts. And honestly, I think it was longer than it needed to be, but I'll be flarked if I wasn't still interested in seeing every last moment of it my three-word review is true 2021 <laughs>
1: <laughs> so i know when everybody was talking about game of the year it was all ratchet and clank and resident evil but this sleeper hit is almost certainly my top pick of the year unfortunately it came a little bit late in the year and it still sits in that looming shadow of the failure that was the avengers game last year but luckily those projects are completely unrelated and this game is truly amazing From its satisfying active team combat system to its lovingly crafted story that was told with some of the best dialogue and NPC banter that I've heard since uh, I think Red Dead Redemption 2 actually, this game truly stands out as one of the best things I've played this year. Hell, like I said, i played it twice. I couldn't get enough of it, so for anyone who wasn't sure about it like I was, take a chance on it. It came totally out of left field and delivered on becoming one of the favorite games of the year. Actually, it was one of my favorite games in a long time. So seriously hoping we get a sequel on this one
0: agreed i would play that and uh agree on it being one of my favorite games of the year as well uh thanks for helping me find this one and and come to it and play it Clint. i really you know i'm glad this is why we do the cast yeah Yeah. i
1: wanted (laughs) you to make me play dark souls that one time and now i got to make you play uh, guardians Guardians of the 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 galaxy. galaxy
0: exactly so Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. If you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care, and keep on gaming. I know I've said this in the past, and podcast games are like an instant plus one star for me if we're talking about star rating. This is like the antithesis of a podcast game, but I yeah. still loved it. Like, there was no point in this game where I didn't want to hear whatever was going on on the screen, um, whether it be like the excellent sound design or the banter going on in or out of a battle or in a cutscene, or whatever like I wanted to just be in the moment and I think that's a testament to how good it was that I didn't mind it was interrupting my love of podcasts (laughs) yeah I think that
1: if somebody was trying to go into this game that didn't want to pay attention to things like
0: that they wouldn't enjoy it no there's other games to zone out to this is a game that will demand your attention you know more or less so depending on the difficulty but um the more or less so, depending on the difficulty you choose to play at. But um, I, uh, I think it definitely rewards paying attention for story elements alone.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even leave areas sometimes when I felt like the guys were going to keep talking for a little bit. I would just sit there and just see what else they would do. Just kind of hang out. Just kind of
0: cool. It is the this game's version of exhausting a dialogue tree. Like you know, I really want to hear everything that they have to say. Um. One other thing about that, though, I mentioned difficulty, and one thing this game did get criticized for was that the battles sometimes got long and or repetitive, and I have to say right right now that I circumvented that immediately by when I realized that the battles could go long because um, Star-Lord is kind of weak in terms of like what his bullets do, I just bumped his damage from normal to high, and it made those battles go much faster. Wait, you can <laughs> up his damage? Yeah, so that's a really interesting thing about how this game handles accessibility is like, you can, if you go down to the difficulty, right, there's not just easy, medium, hard, there is easy, medium, hard, and then you see the whole list below of all of the factors that that affects, and you can individually tweak those factors. So I went to normal difficulty, and then just went to Star Lord gun damage and tweak that up to high instead of normal.
1: Nice. I like that games are starting to do that. Like, games leading, like, uh, we played Celeste, and that's, like, a super, like, Hard. hardcore platformer, but they do a good job of being like, hey, we get it. Not everyone can do this, and they had several options to fix that, too. There's mm-hmm. a couple games that I know, I think it was a Tomb Raider game, that was like, hey, there's combat, there's exploration, there's something else. You can set, like, difficulties in each of those categories. Like, games should have that. Fuck you, Dark Souls. Like, I I, I get that you want to be leet or whatever but we don't have fucking time for this bullshit anymore like people bought a game they should be able to beat the game they should be able to enjoy
0: it. it's your gameplay it how you want and i think i think darks i think from is starting to move away from this as well i mean Sekiro's absolutely no indication of this but um i hopefully elden ring turns a corner but i agree that that, that is actually my least favorite thing about how, what from software does is like they don't really yield any ground to that i like everything about those games except for the fact that they really don't let the player explore how they want to play those games you know they're, they're too prescriptive and I think from when I started playing Dark Souls and it became like my favorite game of all time to now that is the biggest thing about how I've changed at look, about looking at games
1: yeah, accessibility is, is important, and I'm tired of the, the toxic, like, get good mentality. Like, Yeah, fuck that shit. I, I mean, no, it's it's fine for certain things. It's fine for competitive multiplayer games. Like, if you want to get online and you all want to compete, cool, but...
0: Everyone's got to be in an even playing field there, right?
1: Right, but there's no reason why you beating Dark Souls at home by yourself equates to you being better than me, because I did it with accessibility settings. Like, cool, don't yeah. give me an achievement if that's the ultimate goal here, but that's not why I'm playing.
0: I just want to see it. Yeah, me, me and Josh uh, talked about this at the end of our Iconfell cast, too. Like, there were really great accessibility options in that game, too. And basically, I think where we came down and it was, like, when accessibility or when difficulty starts to become, like, a badge of honor and something you're lording over other people, like, that ceases to be useful to anyone, really. Um, just one of those things, like, why bother? <laughs> like, yeah. y- you don't need to be this co- uh, toxic about this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, it has no place in single-player
0: games. Like, that's just not... Not yeah. healthy. I think, yeah. I, I, just do Just do like Star-Lord does. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Just try and be good for the people around you.
1: Yeah. Is that what we learned from this game?
0: Yeah, something like that. All there right. were a lot of lessons from this game. Be nice to dragons. But that's one of them. Yeah, be nice to animals and plants and big, strong, burly men yeah. and ladies that could kick your ass.
1: I'm pretty sure all of them would have kicked uh, <laughs> Star-Lord's ass, but that doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, well most people could kick my ass too so the the lesson holds <laughs>
1: go, go, go!